Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Acts 3.19 says, Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And as you know, uh, on Sunday nights, uh, Sunday nights I've done here recently, I've been talking about the subject of repentance on Sunday nights. And, um, and we're not going to talk about it tonight, but we're going to segue into something else. Uh, but I've had this on my heart for a little while, this topic tonight I want to look at. But just want to, uh, just as a refresher, because it, it's important, it fits in there. We talked about the, the subject to repent and what, what is that? It's a, it's a decision that one makes. It's not an emotion. It's not a feeling, but it's a choice, a decision that one makes, one that is so set in stone and so uh, uh, emphatic that it changes, it results in a complete change of one's behavior, a total transformation of how a person thinks and acts and walks and lives. It changes every part of their life. And a lot of people think repentance, like I said, is a tear or a cry or being regretful and remorseful. And, you know, sometimes emotions or regret and remorse accompany and can be a part of uh, repentance, uh, but it's not required. What's required is a decision because if you have regret, remorse, or emotion without a decision that is strong enough to change how you live, one of those proverbial lines in the sand moment where that issue is that, that, that you need to repent of and turn from, if it's anything other than a line in the sand moment, it's not true repentance because when there's not that definitive decision, there's always a path that's left to go back to that decision. And then right there, even if you were to maintain something for an extended period of time, if that door is open to go back, then it's not true repentance. And the Bible says here that to repent and be converted, your sins be blotted out. So the sin that, that is committed that one is repenting for, and sins can be all sorts of different things, big things, small things. It's all sin. It's all, it all needs to be dealt with. But as long as if repentance, a, a, a decision, a definitive decision that results in real change, unless that's happened, your sins aren't forgiven. Those things can't be blotted out. Sometimes I think people think, you know, we can say some magic words and, and God will just wave, wave his hand of forgiveness. No, he knows your heart and he knows what you're really doing. And he knows when a person makes a definitive decision, even though you've not had a chance to walk it out yet, he knows when you make that, that decision because he knows the future. And he knows what's going to result from it. And that doesn't necessarily mean a person can't make a mistake and trip up, but it's not something that they've set in front of them or, or this opportunity they've kept open in front of them. You know what I'm talking about? And we had given the example of the early church when the, the church where they had come in and, and uh, they had been forgiven and they, they turned to the Lord and they burned all their books, all of their uh, books of magic and things that they had, they burned. It was over several million dollars that they destroyed. What was that? That was a, an outward display, an action. Actions mattered. It was an action that left them no room to return. And so that's what repentance is. And so we had talked about uh, the subject of repentance. And like I said before, you know, when we were talking about it, um, this is a part of what we do. It's how we get into the kingdom of God. Unless there's repentance, a person can't be born again. But repentance is all, also something that follows us every day of our Christian walk. While we're here, there's always going to be things to repent of. It's not a dirty word. It's a wonderful thing. Thank God for the opportunity to make decisions and change. Thank God for that. Amen. And so as we grow, as we live, we're, we become more aware of these things. The Lord will highlight things in our lives, show us things. And every opportunity when you see something, it, what an exciting thing it is to jump on that thing and, and to deal with that thing and address that issue and, and make a move in that area and make sure we never go back to it. Never go back to it. What a blessing that is. And so it's such, such like I said, such an important thing. And like I said, regularly repenting to self-correct is important. Regularly repenting to self-correct is important. God can't do our repenting for us, but we do that. We talked about who, who, who talked about repentance. We gave some examples. John the Baptist in Matthew 3. I'll just read it to you. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was, that's the ministry that he had. His whole ministry was about repent. 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus in his earthly ministry uh, preached about, he had a message of repentance. When he, when he was dwelled by the spirit, when he was baptized by John and dwelled by the spirit, he went out and taught a message of repentance. In the early church, Peter got up and he, uh, on the day of Pentecost, and he got up and he told them to what? To repent. And so it was a part of the early church. It's a part, of, it still should be a part of our lives to repent. Amen. And, uh, and so I also had given some examples of, we said that Jesus' ministry and his earthly ministry was a ministry of repentance. But we also looked forward to some things that he said, is saying, has said, is saying, will continue to say to, the, to believers. And it was a message of repentance. We had looked in the book of Revelation uh, at different ones. And just for time's sake, we won't look at all of them. But uh, five of the churches, uh, the seven that were there all of those, he used the verbiage to repent. And every time he said to repent, he said, if you don't repent, and he said, repent or else. Have you ever had an or else told to you? Well, when it comes from God, when it comes from the very mouth of Jesus, that or else carries a little bit more weight. Your, your or else may not mean a whole lot to me or to somebody else, but when Jesus says or else, we better pay attention. You, you realize he doesn't make empty threats. If he says or else, that means if you don't do it, something's coming. Not maybe, but something's coming. There will be a, there will be an or else. And so those letters to the, those churches, the five churches, he gave five of them. He told them or do this, repent or else. And so I want to look at uh, revelation chapter two tonight. I've had this, like I said, uh, uh, when I had ministered on the subject of repentance, I kind of knew that we would come back to this. And so I want to look at, uh, this tonight, and, and I'm, I'm going to endeavor to uh, leave us some time maybe at the end. And uh, boy, you can really get into this. So there, there's, there's uh, probably I'll have time to get into everything. If you've not read these letters, chapter one, up through the first few chapters of Revelation, uh, I encourage you to go back and read them. Uh, this is a current uh, word to the churches that were there in Asia. There were seven churches in Asia that were all connected in a, in a, in a loop, you know. Uh, so there were seven specific churches he was talking to, but it's also written to us. It's written to the church today. And, and examples of this and, and things that Jesus dealt with can be found in, in churches all across the country. And, and there are things even here that can be addressed. And that's a, that's, a good, that's a good place to be. That's why he gave us his word. That's why he, he wrote these things down. That's why he told John to write down what I'm saying. Specifically, write these things down. And uh, they're, they're a blessing to us. They're a blessing to those churches if they did it or else. It was uh, the, the result came that they didn't want. But let's start here in Revelation 2. We'll read verses 1 through 7, then we'll go back and, and, uh, and uh, take a look at it. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored, labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else, there's that or else, I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He said, repent twice. But this you have, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It wasn't, he was addressed to the church in Ephesus, but notice he said what the Spirit says to the churches, right? To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And so uh, this is the first letter, the first letter that John recorded by instruction of Jesus himself to the church in Ephesus. Now, the church in Ephesus was the primary church in that area. It was kind of the head church, the mother church, and the uh, church of, of a great influence over the entire region. And um, I want to, like I said, I want to break down some of these, uh, look at in more depth some of the, the things that are said here. But just to kind of give you an idea uh, of what this was, you know, if you go back to, to chapter 1, the beginning of, of the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 1, when Paul is, or John rather, is writing here, we'll look at Revelation 1.1. 1, 1. It said, the revelation of Jesus Christ was God, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. So the things that were written throughout all of the, out of the, and the entire chapter are things that will, must, and will come to play, come to pass. There's a lot of stuff here we've not seen yet. This is a book of prophecy that, that there, the, as we move on, 
These things have not happened yet, but they're going to be a, a, a guide, a guidepost, a, a, a light, and an example for people that will be here even after the church is raptured out, uh, up. Well, we need to look at some of these things just to make sure we're, we're uh, in the right company when that time comes. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be here. Some of the things that are written, I want no part of it. I want to be viewing it from the other side of, of heaven. I don't want to, I don't want to have a, a close-up and personal view. I want to be where God would have us to be, right? But we have to make sure we're aware of these things and see some things. Of course, as all Scripture will be helped to us. But he said, I want to show you things which must shortly come to place. And he sent and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear these wor- the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So he's giving us a, 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 a snapshot or a look into the future. And he says, blessed are the ones who see these things, reads these things, hears these things, does these things. Why? Because the end is near, the time is coming, and these things that are written must take place, and they're going to happen before long, right? He said, he said, blessed is that. So we want to make sure we approach this right. So John, you know, when, when, when you read, it goes on later, says, I, John, in verse 9, both your brother and companion in the tribulation of the kingdom and the patience of Jesus was on the Isle of Patmos. You know the story. He was the last living uh, of the apostles. Uh, uh, they tried to execute him, tried to boil him alive. It didn't work, you know, and they ra- he was pulled out of the vat of oil, and he was fine. And, of course, it kind of freaked everybody out. So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, which was a terrible place to be. And so the Lord appears to him. But it's interesting when the Lord appears to him, John went into great detail what he saw. And the only reason I'm covering this is because we need to see the context in which Jesus did this and gave this message. He could have appeared to John in a way that John was familiar, but he didn't do that. Remember, John was the one whom Jesus loved. And so John had a very intimate uh, uh, memory of Jesus. He was one that he lived with, walked with. Jesus met his every need. Jesus was, he was someone that he was tender towards, that, that he was very affectionate with. And he saw Jesus and his love and his compassion, what he was here to do on the earth. He was, a, he was the lamb of God. He was, he was, it was, it was a wonderful relationship John had. That's not the Jesus that John encountered when he wrote these things down. Very different Jesus that he saw. And so it says here, and um, uh, he said, uh, you know, he, he heard a voice, verse 10, and I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and heard a, behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, uh, Phil- Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Then I turned and saw the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded uh, about the chest with a golden band his head and hair were white as wool uh, were white as wool and white as snow and his eyes like flames of fire his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace in his voice as the sound of many waters he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went out a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength and when i saw him He didn't say this was the Jesus that I walked with that I knew. He said, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his hand on his right hand on me and said, saying to me, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the one who lives and went on and and talked to him. But notice the, the, how Jesus chose to, to display himself, how he chose to reveal himself. Not as the Lamb of God, but he revealed himself as the triumphant King of Kings, the ultimate authority in the universe. No, there's no one greater, no one first, no one before, no one above. He was the King of Kings. He's the first, the last. He was everything. And it said it shook John to the point that he fell to the ground as dead. Ever had something happen and you fell to the ground as dead? It just like, I, I don't know that I've ever had that happen. Something that was so overwhelming and so, for lack of a better word, intimidated because John, it says here, Jesus told him not to be afraid. Don't be afraid. It, it, so, it so shook him that he fell to the ground and Jesus had to then comfort him. Let me tell you something. When we look at these things, you know, I'm, I'm oftentimes talking about give us an eye for eternity. Help us live our lives with purpose. 
God is loving. Jesus is loving. But there's a whole other side to him that is equal, equal to and just as important as. And it is the fact that, he, yes, he is the Lamb of God that was slain for the world. But he is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is triumphant in every single area. And he should be respected. He should be listened to. He should be, we ought to approach our walk with him, yes, with love, but also with awe of who he is. He is the son of God, risen and seated at the right hand of the father. We, we, need, to, we need to be aware of that. And he appeared to, to John in this matter because he said, there are things that are about to happen must surely take place. So write these things and blessed are those who hear it. So when we're looking here, then it starts in, in, in chapter 2, the first letter. And, um, wow, what a, what a powerful, uh, what a powerful uh, letter these, this is. In, in fact, all of them. I just want to look at, at the first one tonight. And um, there's somebody, like I said, there's so many things it would take too long to get into it. But it says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, right. Now, just as you, so you know, and I know you've heard this before, the angel that he's talking about was not an angelic being. It was actually the messenger to the pastor uh, of the church, the leader of the church. You know, angels don't preach the word. They don't teach the word. You don't have any record in the New Testament of an angel preaching the gospel. Remember Cornelius when, when he was wanting to find out what he must do? An angel appeared to him and gave him instructions to who to go talk to so he could hear the gospel. Remember it said to go to Joppa and, and, and go find Peter. Of course, the Lord appeared. You know, Peter fell in a vision and the Lord talked to him and told him, you know, take and eat and what's clean, don't, you know, all that stuff. And, but the angel of the Lord instructed Cornelius to send for, to go seek for Peter. That so the, and the angel said, look for him, go for him so he'll tell you what to do. See, it's important we know this. Our job is to preach the gospel. Our assignment is to preach and to teach the word. Of course, as pastors, as leaders, our job is to uh, uh, say specifically what the Lord Jesus, this triumphant king, what he says. That's our job to, is to repeat those things. But So it was written to the angel, the messenger of the church of Ephesus. And we don't really need to go any more than that. But anyway, it says, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Uh, let me read this to you out of, the, um, out of the Amplified. It says, To the angel, the messenger of the assembly, the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars, which are the seven messengers, or are the messengers of the seven churches. Those are the pastors again. In his right hand, he goes about among the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches. So twice he says to the angel, to the messenger, the pastor of the church at, at, at Ephesians, and he said, the one, uh, coming from, uh, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars. Those are the, the messengers, those leaders of those churches. You have to understand, when it comes to, to uh, the things that are discussed and the things that are, are taught, there's great responsibility to that. And, and I'll just say this, too, as a kind of a side note. I was, a friend of mine had said this recently. He said, you know, if, if the Lord has called you, he was talking to his congregation. He said, if the Lord has called you to this house, he said, if, you, if the Lord has placed my wife and I, as your pastors and placed you in this church, he said, you need to be listening to the messages that are said in this church. And I just want to throw this out there. Jesus addressed this to the angel and to the one who holds the seven, the seven stars because he put specific people in places. And it's for a reason. There's a message that the Lord Jesus has for the churches, but it comes through the messengers that he's placed in these positions. There are a lot of people that are out there, good ministers that are out there. But you know, the first place that you go to listen to ought to be your own church and your own leaders, the people that your pastors ask to minister, even if it's a lay person that your pastor asked to, to speak on a Wednesday night, you should listen to them before you listen to somebody else. I don't care how snazzy they are, how much polish they are, how many followers they have, or any of those things, because those people are not the ones that the Lord assigns you to. And I'm not saying that to promote myself. This, there, there's great responsibility involved in this, but there's also great information, protection, and guidance for you. He didn't appear, appear, say, or write this directly to the church. He wrote it to the angels and the seven stars, the messengers and the seven stars. And it was then their job to repeat those things. You ought to be listening. If you're serving, go back and listen. And in fact, if you are in service, you ought to listen more than once. Actually, the, the pastor of a friend of mine, he tells all of his people, just because you're in service, you need to listen to, listen to a message at least once during the week. 
You know why that's important? It keeps you from developing itchy ear syndrome. That you have pet topics that you like to hear and certain people that you like to hear it from, which can easily lead you to hearing certain things that you like to hear because it lines up with what you'd like to do. Not necessarily the message the Lord is giving specifically for you. Side thought. It's important that you do this. I do it. You should do it. It's important for us, right? So the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the, of the seven golden lampstands. We read in the book of, uh, in the Amplified there that those seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. Now, a couple things here, you know, about, about this. And like I said, we're not going to spend a lot of time. But these lampstands uh, are not like we think about it today. These candlesticks, lampstands. It's not like Yankee Candle Company. This was before, uh, you know, they had things that were, you know, mechanized ways of doing things. These lampstands were small clay uh, pots, clay things that were handmade. They were very thin, very fragile. And they were filled with oil. It had a wick in them. They'd be light, lit, and it would, it would give off light to the house. And so no two are alike, just like no two churches are alike. And that's why there were seven letters to the seven churches. And even today, there are things that each church can get, our church can get from all of the seven letters that were written. And uh, so no two churches are the same, but the, the, these, these candlesticks, these lampstands were very precious. Imagine a day before electricity. You couldn't just flick on the lights. Uh, you, know, you do know the sun went down there just like it then like it does now, you know, and I'm sure they probably, uh, despised fallback, you know, and, and love the leap ahead and all that. So you do, I think next year they're getting rid of that. We're not doing that next year. I think that's right. Hallelujah. But anyway, so at night, you know, these lampstands were very important to them because that's how they functioned. It provided security. It helped them see what they were doing. And so, but they were a fragile thing, something that, that, that should be uh, guard and protected. It's interesting because that's how he sees the church. He sees the churches and he recognizes the fact that they're fragile, that they're, they're oftentimes have imperfections in them. And yet notice he calls them golden lampstands. He called them golden because they have, that was, that, that was the item of the most value in their day. Gold was the most expensive, most precious thing they had. And in the face of all of the different things that were written, Jesus viewed this church He viewed all the churches as being precious, as being valuable. He recognized that they were fragile, had to be treated with care. Yet he was, that's what he was doing. When he wrote these things, it was because he valued them, because he was, he cared about how they were uh, uh, functioning. He didn't want them to be broken, but he valued them. So we have to see all of this. He came and he appeared to John as the risen king, but he also expressed that tenderness. So we know when we read these things, our hearts can, we can relax. We can take it serious because this is the king of kings, but we can also relax because he loves us and, and he values us. And these things that are written are for our benefit, right? And so he said to the seven star, who, hold, who holds the seven stars, it's interesting that that word when he says who holds, it's, he has a tight grip on the seven stars and he walks in the midst of them. It, it portrays uh, being actively involved in walking in and out, being so familiar with and accompanied and accustomed to what's going on, the leaders and the churches that he walked in amongst them and knew his way around almost as if he could make his way around without even thinking about it. So what does that tell us? He's very aware of our lives. Jesus, loving Jesus and the risen King Jesus is same one, two different aspects of who he is. He's very much aware of who we are and, and very much aware of our, our workings and our ins and outs and all of these things that, were, that are happening. He's very aware. He's, 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 he's intimately acquainted with us. Just so we kind of know where, it's, where, where he's coming from. He said, I know. That's once again, he said, I'm intimately aware. I'm, I'm, you know, sometimes we like to, to try to trick the Lord with things. How many know he is never tricked? Sometimes people like to give good amens and hallelujahs, but he knows better. I've been there myself. I won't throw any rocks there, but we've, all, we've probably all been there, haven't we? Verse 2 says, I know your work, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear with those who are evil. Jesus is giving them some compliments. They had a lot of things about them that were valuable, a lot of things about their, this church that were wonderful things. Jesus knew of their works. You know, Jesus is watching our works. He's watching the things that we do. He, he's watching where, what we put our hands to. He's aware of those things. He's of our labor, not just what we're doing, but, but the labor that's involved, the toil that's involved, the sacrifice that's involved. I don't know about you, but that, that, that makes me happy. 
because he sees these things and, and, and what's done when other people don't recognize or know what's done in private, what does the Bible say? He'll reward openly. What's done in secret, he's going to reward openly. So we can serve the Lord with everything we've got because he's watching. He's aware of these things. He said, your patience that you cannot bear with those that are evil. So they were quick to, to, to make sure that when ministers came through or doctrines rolled around, that they were quick to analyze it, to judge all things by the word. They were quick to, to, to not be harsh in, in, in approach, but their, their heart was to, to not be deceived, right? They, they wanted to live and understand and hear and preach and embrace the true gospel. They wanted that. It's sad there's not all places are like that. Some places like certain pet doctrines. They like things that they like. And, and if the Lord were ever tried to, to come in involved and, and say something to them, to bring them to a moment of what? Repent. They resist that. But he said, listen, he said, you guys, he said, you can't bear with those that are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not and have found them liars. And so he holds, they were holding people to the standard of the word. He said, and you have persevered and have patience. I mean, he recognized the, the, the things that they were going through. I mean, we, we, we think about the, the persecution. We, there's persecution that we experience. And Jesus said, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. And so if we're living for him, that's partly an indication of how, how brightly we're living our life. If our lampstand individually is set up higher, are we hiding it by the kind of, how many bugs are being drawn to us? Right? One way to keep bugs from being drawn to a light is to turn the light off or to cover the light. But if you're going to put it up high, you're going to, you're going to draw the bugs, right? I mean, last night we had, you know, people coming through the neighborhood knocking on our door, you know, trick-or-treaters. And so, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mia turned on the light outside the front porch and, and I told her, you need to pay attention. If a car pulls up, turn that light on. But if not, you turn the light off because not only kids show up in crazy costumes, but we also have things called wolf spiders that show up and, I don't want wolf spiders getting in the house. So you keep the light off and somebody pulls up, you turn the light on and they'll come up and get some bubble gum. But anyway, uh, so, you know, if you're not receiving any opposition, maybe your light isn't shining as bright as it should be. I told Cindy when she was youth, the, the youth minister here years ago when, when she got in and we started, you know, the, back then it was called Priority One back in the day. And, and uh, I was the original youth group member, literally. She would give an altar call. It was me and her. Because, you know, you act like we're big, even though there's just me and her. She'd give an altar call, and it would just be me. That, would, that was always so much fun. I probably needed to respond to some things. But anyway, maybe that was the Spirit of God trying to help me out. But anyway, we were going to act like we were big, and we were going to do this anyway. Her and I were talking. We'd, we'd kind of added a few people. Laura had showed up, and a couple of people were starting to, had, were started, had started to come. And, and uh, by the time I graduated and... and uh, um, yeah, I was bragging to her once. I said, you know, people are always inviting me to go with them to here and there. And she said, well, that, she said, okay, well, that's good. But are you, should you be proud of that? If they're inviting you to go to things, is that maybe they, they don't realize that you don't do those things? I was like, ooh, ouch, that hurt. You know, I said, well, sure they know because I never show up. He said, but she said, because I never go to that stuff. So she said, yeah, but they're inviting you, aren't they? I'm like, ouch, that hurts a little bit. We want to be included, right? Don't we want, want to be included in things? There's some things we ought not, people are like, I ain't answering. They're like, I ain't answering. We, people like to be included in things, don't they? I've worked with teenagers for a long time. That's one of the biggest struggles they have is not being included. It's called peer pressure, not being a part of what's happening. You know, adults deal with that same stuff. Don't look all holy. Even just because you're 50 doesn't mean you don't deal with the same stuff. Conversations at work, around the water cooler, you want to be included. So what happens instead of maybe sometimes taking a stand and, and not being a part of it, not getting our Bible. You think, you think pastor received a little bit of harassment when the guys are playing cards and he's reading his Bible every day? You think he received some harassment? Well, that's just because he was called to be a preacher. No, he was loving God more than what other people thought. Did people harass you about that? Oh, yeah. But he loved God more than he loved what they said. I'm just saying, if you're not getting any harassment, you might need to check up on yourself. If you're embarrassed to have a pocket Bible, well, check up on yourself. Right? Oh, just a thought. That's good preaching, Pastor Greg. It is. There's a lot of reasons why people do that, and then we're going to get into what this is. He said, uh, you persevere and have patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. These are all wonderful things. Notice he said the next, in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you. 
He said, despite of all of those good things, I have a problem with you. I have, I have, so he said, you've done great stuff. You're doing great things, but I have, an, I have issue with you. He said that you have left your first love. The actual grammatical structure of this says, because your love, the first one, you have left it. He said, you're doing all of these things, but your first love, you've, you've, you've left your first love. You know, and of course he later goes on and talks about the Nicolaitans and, not, and, and he, he gives them a compliment again at the end. And the Nicolaitans were a group that uh, uh, they were teaching basically that you can compromise. You can, you can act like the pagans and, and get involved in some of the pagan practices. And you can do those things to win favor with people. We, you know, we, we'll reach the world by being a part of them. And Jesus said, use really strong language. You hate them and I hate them. Jesus hates, apparently he does. And he commended them for hating those things. You know, we need to resist that stuff. But in the, even in the fact that they were resisting that temptation to be like the Nicolaitans, he still had something against them. He said, I have, a, I have something against you. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your, left your first love. Remember, therefore, from when you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from, from its place unless you repent. Notice, in the face of all of the great things that, that, that they were doing, what did he say to them? He said, nevertheless, I have this against you. And unless you repent, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come. There's going to be action taken against you. You know, our love for the Lord is so important. He said, I have this against you that you've left your first. That word first means first in time or in place, first in rank meaning position, rank, chief, and principle. He said, you've left your first love. Remember I said before, he was walking in the midst of them, and he knew intimately their details, knew intimately how they were living. He knew, he knew their works, he knew all of these things, and he knew all of this stuff. Now, Pastor Gary, are you saying that, are you pointing anybody out that your love has grown cold? No. I am, I am doing what the Lord told me to do. We live in a time that if we're not careful, our love can grow cold for the Lord. In fact, Jesus said when he talked about the signs of the, of the last days, he said that because of wickedness, the love of not a few, but the love of many would grow cold. He said, not, he said because of the lawlessness and the corruption, all that stuff, he said the love of many would grow cold. Now, like I said, th this, this is a sobering topic. He didn't say it might. He said it will happen. And in fact, this church, which was the, naturally speaking, was the model church of, of the region. Everybody looked to them for leadership. And they were strong in all of these things. They were, they were diligent to, to, to test the word and, and to, to serve and, and, to, and to contend for the truth and to persevere great persecution. Earlier, some about persecution. They, 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 they went through persecution we have never experienced. We've never seen the, the, kind, of, the kind of stuff that they saw. Never. Not, not, not in America. Now, some places around the world. I mean, Christopher, the, his team in Myanmar in Burma. I mean, they've had, their, they've, they've had people go in. That, he, you've heard us talk about this, they, this before. They've had people go in the government and, and different ones who hate the gospel so much that have gone, on, gone in and burned all of their houses down and abused their, their women and children and sent them into the jungles with nothing. For no other reason other than the fact they preached the gospel. Period. That's the kind of stuff that was happening here. They were locking them up. They were all of these things. He said, you persevered. You, you've stuck with it. You've not bowed your knee. I mean, he was, what a wonderful thing. But in the midst of all of that, their love was growing cold. They had left their first love. Only reason I say this is because we have to be so careful. We have to be so careful. In the day that we live in, even doing all of the things that we know to do, we must be so careful to make sure that our love for God is as passionate and as burning as it has ever been in our life. Jesus knows. He knows. 
He's intimately aware of what's going on in our hearts. He knows every detail, every decision, every thought. He knows the why we do things. Even when we're doing it for the right reason, if our heart has grown cold, he knows it and he has a problem with it. Not just has a problem from the standpoint of the, the Lamb of God has a problem with it. Yes, the Lamb of God has a problem, but the risen King has a problem with it. Now, as a church, our Sunday night crowd, th- this, is our, this is our core. And we thank God for every one of you. We know there's a couple that can't be here tonight. We get it, things that have come up, but, but this is the core. And as the core of this church, we have got to make sure Our passion for God is at the highest place it has ever been in our lives. Why? Because Jesus said, there's a day coming. It's coming quickly. Tell them these things. He even went on to say, do something, repent, change. Or I'll remove your candlestick, your light from you. Is that serious? Deadly serious. Deadly serious. I want to ask you, what's your love for the Lord? I'm not asking about your attendance. I'm not asking about your serving. Now, those things are reflections. They're reflections. Our church is 42 years old. We're, 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 we're pushing, we've, we've had, we're 42 and a half years old. We've been around a long time. Anytime something's been in existence for a while, it's easy for the passion to die off. All my married couples know what I'm talking about. Right? Do we not? Married couples, do we not know what we're talking about? Yeah. You know, I was thinking, you know, the, uh, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for Amy. I mean, you know, in the last year, we've had a wonderful year. It's probably been the best year of our marriage. We've had, we've been, we've had some things, it's been, but it's been a wonderful year. But I remember the days when, when we first met. When she first moved from Pittsburgh, you know, I remember. When we started dating and, and got engaged, I remember when, when times came up that she needed something done at the house. She had a, this old, whew, spider infested trailer she was living in in the woods it was terrible and and you know she would call you know something needs to be done in the house i weren't like i wasn't like oh man i'm like yeah let's go in the middle of the night somebody would pull up and this happened somebody she had she had a couple guys this was in the middle this was in the this was laura knows when laura bought it from us after we when we left and went to ramos she lived in in this almost horror movie type dwelling that we were in after we left. Right. And, and it was dark and isolated in the middle of the night. One night, uh, a couple, was it two or three guys showed up and were pounding on Amy's door. Let, we need in, we need to use your phone. Single woman, nobody around. Well, we, the people we had living next to us were criminals. They ended up breaking into the house and stole a bunch of stuff. Right. So she called, no cell phones, ring-a-ding-ding, right? You know, rotary phone, called the house, woke, us, woke me up. I don't know if it woke you up. Hey, there's two guys here. What did I, I jump in the car? I went like, oh, man, I'm asleep, right? <laughs> call somebody else. I mean, in fact, the neighbors were related to the chief of police in Alacho. Don't call the police because they ain't going to show up because they were stealing from us and the police covered it up. No joke. Lost all the evidence because it was their, their relative. What did I do? I jumped in the car. I might have broken a few laws to get there. Just maybe. I think I grabbed, you know, shotgun out of the, out of the closet. Like I knew what to do with it. Like, I'm going to do something, you know. But I mean, like, I was, I was like, this, this, I, I love this woman. I'm going to get down there. It wasn't a burden to me. It wasn't a burden to me. I was excited to do it. I mean, I was, I'm, I'm, I was, I say excited to do it. I mean, like I was excited about the situation. I don't want to get shot, but at the same point, you know, nor did I want to shoot anybody, but I mean, like I was ready to go. But over time, it's easy to be like, eh, that's kind of annoying. Come on now. Isn't it not? Well, I'm not going to admit that because the, they already know. Hey, can you go do something for me? I'm watching the game. They already know. 
right. I'm getting on your nerves? Oh, yeah, watch out. All right. She said, you're get, she said you're getting on my nerves. That's what's what. Anyway, all right. All right, we're dismissed. All right, we all have a good night. <laughs> we have to watch out for this. You've heard the, heard the old story. An older husband and wife pull up to a red light in a pickup truck. And a young couple pulls up next to him. You've heard the, heard the story, right? And a young couple pulls up next to him. And the husband, the husband, the older couple, the husband's behind the wheel, the steering wheel, and the wife's sitting on her seat. It's got bench seats. Back in the days, I had bench seats in the truck. And she's sitting on her side, and he's sitting on his side. And this young couple pulls up, and he's driving the car, and she's right up next against him. And the wife looks at her husband and is like, oh, I remember those days. I remember those days. And the husband looks at her and says, I didn't move. Right? He's still behind the wheel. It's easy over time for that love. You love somebody. I'm not saying you don't love them anymore, but that passion you had at one point isn't what it used to be. Sometimes offenses get in the way, hurts. People are people. People make mistakes. Hurts get involved. If you're dealing with hurt and resentment, deal with it. If it's still there, you're not dealing with it. Deal with it. Don't let it rob you of your love for God. Well, it's not, I don't, it's not a love towards God. I have a problem with so-and-so. That's a problem with, a lo- with loving God. That's an issue of not loving God first when you have a problem with somebody else. That's really what it is. That's reality. I was overlooked for this. I was overlooked for that. This happened, that happened, this disappointment, that disappointment. Other things came in. Parents, kids show up. And I love my kids. I love my kids. I love my wife. I don't love either one of them more than I love God. We have to maintain that. I said, we have to maintain that. It's, it's a shame to think that our, our natural family, our husbands, our wives, our, our children can become idols. That's what they are when we love them above God. And put them before him that, that the blessing of marriage and children becomes an idol and it sickens God. The reality is you can't love your spouse, you can't love your kids the way you need to love them if you don't love God more than them. That's the truth. You can't really love them the way you need to if you don't love God more. God is a jealous God. Exodus 34, 14 says, You shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. God does not want us to have anything or anyone we value above him. Even that child you work 40, 50, 60 hours a week for, they're not to come before a God. It's the truth. Jesus, I'll just give you the scripture, Matthew 10, 37. You just write it down. I'm going to read it to you. For he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. This was Jesus speaking. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This is, this is, I don't know how else to say it. This is so serious. This is so serious. See, when we're not 100% in love with Jesus, it affects, it affects our marriages. It affects our children. It affects our workplaces. It affects our testimony. It reproduces a less than passion for God in other people. We can't have that. I said we can't have that. Go to Matthew 22. We'll look at this together. Matthew 22. This was Jesus speaking to the, to the Sadducees. and He had shut up the Pharisees. And, or they're talking to the Pharisees, rather. Jesus had shut down the Sadducees. So the Pharisees wanted to come in and get involved in the discussion. 
One of them asked him a question, you know, which is the greatest commandment? This is Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. Jesus said to him, notice, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. You'll love the Lord your God with all your heart. You'll love the Lord God with all your soul, your emotions. You'll love the Lord God with all of your mind, your, your thoughts. You'll, you'll, you'll love God with everything that you have. That word all is a Greek word holos, and it means all, whole, and completely. I'm just asking you to do an evaluation of your life. This is something we have to have. Jesus told John to write this to the most prominent church in Asia. He complimented them, but then he said, I have this against you, and if you don't repent, something's going to happen. I'm going to remove your, your lampstand from you. This is how serious it was. Evaluate yourself. Is, has there ever been a point in your life where you are more passionate for Jesus than you are right now? Is there a moment in your life that, that you can think back and remember a time where you were more in love with God than you are right now? Is there a moment? Well, then what's the answer? Only you, well, not, I, only, I almost said only you know the answer. No, you know the answer and God knows the answer. Right? He knows the answer, and you really know the answer. I don't know the answer. Sometimes, pastors, we have insight into what the answers are. But truly, you and God, you're the, one, you're the two that are really going to know. Has there ever been a time where you love God more? If the answer is yes, what's the word? What's the word? Repent. Repent. Make a decision to turn it around. Can I meddle just for a minute? When you come to church and you don't feel like worshiping God, you don't love him the way you used to. When you come to church and you want to be on Facebook instead of following along your Bible, you don't love him the way you used to. When you gripe and complain about coming, we've all been there, right? You don't love him like you used to. These are things that should be, should mean something to us. So they should mean something to us. Well, what's the remedy for this? What's the remedy? We're going to hurry up. What's the remedy? Revelation 2, the fifth verse, it says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. What's the solution? They weren't without hope. They weren't too far gone. They weren't in a place where they were, they were incapable of making a change. They, that wasn't the case. He, he wouldn't have appeared to them and went through all of this if there wasn't an option. He told them what to do. He said, you've left your first love. And he goes on, but he went on to say, what did he say in, in the fifth verse? Let me find it again. He says, remember from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Remember from where you have fallen. There's such a vital part of us remembering those old days. Remembering the days when we were new in our walk with God. How exciting it was. And if you don't have one of those days, check your heart. Get before the Lord. If you never have, you don't have those memories, do you know them? I'm not saying that to be a jerk. I'm just saying that if you've never had a moment where you were like, man, I love God. This is awesome. And it caused within you like a, a, a response. Did you ever really meet him? Or did you come into contact with, with the Christian culture of the day and a church culture? There's other people. That Jesus said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord. He, he said, and he said, I never knew you. And they said, like, hey, I did all of these things. But he said, I didn't know you. What is he saying? We, you never loved me. You never cared enough to get to know me. You did stuff. He didn't tell him, no, you didn't do those things. You just said, I never knew you. The reality is there will be people. I mean, I, I, this, this, there'll be people who sit in great churches, even like ours. 
all over the world that will stand before Jesus and, 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 and it won't be good. We have to know this for ourselves. Has there ever been a time you've been more in love with him? Remember those days. Remember all that he's done for you. Purposefully recount these one by one. Go back. We tend to, I do it too, we tend to recount the bad stuff. Go back and and all the offenses and things that happened in church and all this and that and the other. What has God done for you? What has he done for you? Remember those things. Husbands and wives, what do you do when you're trying to rekindle? You go back and you think about all the great times you had and what it was like when you first fell in love and, you, and then you start then doing something about it. You, you go back to doing those things that you did. And when frustration gets a hold of you, what do you do? No, you check, you make a decision. No, I'm not doing that. I, I'm, I'm gonna be glad to do this. Isn't that how that works? If you don't know, that's how it works. It'll be a help to your marriage. He said, remember, repent, and then do the first works. Do these things. But then also think ahead of the promises you have and and that, that, that joy you had when you thought about all that God had for your future. When Amy and I got married, it wasn't, it wasn't just a single day, but we looked ahead to a life that we were going to have. That was a part of the excitement. We said, until death do us part, we're going to grow old together. Unfortunately, we're seeing it, you know. And, 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 but but we, had, we had thoughts of current times, but then thoughts of future times. Children have showed up. They've been a blessing. What a wonderful thing. But we have other things we've thought of. Well, think about those, not just what he's done, but what he has for you. What has he talked to you about? What has he promised you in his word? What has he said that's yours? Remember those things. Remember those things. Do the first work. Spend time with him. Talk to him. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him out of your own mouth. Tell him. He's real. He hears you. I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I said, I just warned us. I said, listen, let's be careful as a church that we don't fall into the habit that I saw happen in, 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 in the church that my parents came out of. I would go to church if you weren't here and you didn't listen. I would go to church with granny and, and you have people who wanted to praise God. They were on the, in the choir. Everybody else sat and listened to them praise God. Some of the people in the choir were singing because they wanted to be heard singing, not because they loved God. You can serve children's church and all these other places because you want to be seen, not because you love God. You get no reward. And in fact, God hates it. You can give your tithes and offerings, not because you love God, not with the right heart. That's why we talked about money this whole time. It's your heart. And if your heart's not involved, God hates it. <laughs> right? But we'd go to church and, and, and granny was not in the choir side. She was in the sit and watch side. And she just, lo- and she just loved to hear him sing. That's great. But what about your love? What about your voice? The words out of your mouth. Husbands, wives, don't you like to hear your spouse say, I love you? Parents, don't you love to your children to say, I love you? Children, don't you like your parents to to say, I love you? Instead of a grunt every now and then, an actual heartfelt, you know, get out of the door. Here's 20. No, we'll take the 20. Don't, Don't get me wrong. But, you know, you, you, you need to hear those things. Why? Because that's who, we're, that's who we are. Talk about these things. Don't let somebody else do your worshiping. Some of us need to reinvent how we do life. Some of us need to reinvent how we do church. Some of us here need to reinvent how we're doing things. Not because we're, you know, I'm trying my best, right? But not because you've been shamed into it or you're embarrassed into it, but make a decision. I'm not who I was and the Bible says this and 
Yeah, that's pretty serious. So I'm going to make a choice. I'm going to, I'm going to do it differently. And when I'm tempted to come in next week and let somebody else worship me, no, I'm not going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to say, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to say, I love you, God. Start somewhere. That's what you do. And I'll, let me say this too. You, you do realize that God is not just one. You have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talk about loving Jesus a lot. Loving Jesus is important. What about loving God the Father? What about loving the Holy Spirit? How many, have you told the Holy Spirit, I love you, I, 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 I value you, I, I, I reverence you, I, I, you're amazing. You should. He's real. He's God. Let your conversations, do the first works, have conversations about God. I just recently talked to a group of guys, and listen guys, make sure that your conversations aren't just all fun and silly stuff. Have your conversations also involve your faith, encouraging one another, not weird, you know, where it's a weird confession coming out of your mouth all the time and you're just like a robot. I'm talking about actual expressing what God's doing. Sometimes we need to confess things. But, you know, sometimes people do things out of habit and not from heart. Right? Speak. Talk to one another. Believe God with one another. Love God together. It's all a part of it. Don't be so busy serving that you forget to love him. Don't be so busy doing all of the things that you forget to love Jesus. Like you said, you know, I knew, uh, I knew the Lord was going to have me at some point talk about some of these things. And it's for a reason. Myself included, it's for a reason. We have to be aware of this. I want to challenge you. If there's ever, I said it again, if there's ever been a time that you've been more in, more in love with God, repent, go back to where you were. If you love your kids more, if you love your spouse more, you love your dog more, your car more, you love hunting more, and I, and I can relate now because I love to hunt. I understand the, the struggle, right? Any, you love anything else more than God. Make a decision. I will not place that above my Father. I will not place that above time with Jesus. I will not place that before time listening to and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. I will not let it happen. Why? Because I love him more. Say, well, I don't feel it, Pastor Greg. Feelings have nothing to do with it. Feelings are terrible guides. They're great followers. But if you're letting them lead you around, that's why a lot of marriages end in disaster because the feeling isn't there because they've neglected it. And then the feeling comes up for somebody else and all that. But no, 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 no. Love is a choice. It's a decision that you make. It's a life that you live. It's a course that you take regardless. Your emotions, husbands and wives, it will recover. That love will recover. The, the, the sense of emotion will recover if you'll do something. Parents, children, it'll recover. Do what the words. Love God enough to do what he said. Those things will be fixed. I believe this is so important for us. Every person of this church, you're precious to God. Every person, you're precious to him. He views us as a congregation, as golden, precious, valuable, but individually we're the same. He values our rela his relationship with us. He values that. Let's be sure that we're not letting other things get involved. I'll say this, you know, if, if you have things that you need to get addressed with people, and I know this may be tough for folks, but if you have things you need to address, address it. If you've lived a life that's not been passionate, I'm not saying you got to do cartwheels, but you know the difference. But there ought to be times where there's a cartwheel in you. Unless you're getting too old to cartwheel, then... then Give it a, a fake half cartwheel. I mean, I, 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 the other day, Mia's like, I'm going to do a cartwheel. And that was not the other day. It was a while ago. And I tried it. It was the saddest looking cartwheel. But I did something. <laughs> right? 
I'm not going to do it now. I don't want to pull a Steve and rip my pants, but, but do something. But if you've got to go back and make things right, if, if you've lived an example in your children, the, why I say this? Because it reproduces in people. It reproduces in people. Your love can stamp somebody else's love out if you're not careful. Go back and make it right. Love God enough to make it right. That's a part of it. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.